Hello, my name's Florence. Welcome to the OBS pod. I'm an NHS obstetrician, hoping to share some thoughts and experiences about my working life. Perhaps you enjoy Call the Midwife, maybe birth fascinates you, or you're simply curious about what exactly an obstetrician is. You might be pregnant and preparing for birth. Perhaps you work in maternity and want to know what makes your obstetric colleagues tick, or you want some fresh ideas and inspiration. Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 155, Antenatal Steroids. For a long time, certainly as long as I can remember in my career, one of the first things we would do when a woman was admitted in possible preterm labour is give her two doses of steroids, either dexamethasone or betamethasone, two injections, 12 or 24 hours apart. It was pretty much the first thing we'd do as she came through the door, give steroids. Because that was the single biggest thing we could do to make a difference if she was going to deliver preterm. We knew there were lots of benefits for the baby's lungs if we could get those steroids in and give them a little bit of time to work. And much of the treatment we used to try and slow down preterm labour was not aimed at stopping preterm labour because that's well nigh impossible, but to bias time, to give us a bit of time to get those steroid injections into the woman and for them to be effective for her baby. The evidence was very compelling that it improved outcomes It was a no-brainer. From that, things got extrapolated, as they so often do. It's extremely difficult to predict accurately when a woman might deliver preterm. And the best benefit of the steroids would be 24 hours to a week after we'd given those doses. So if we mistimed it, we might give her steroids and they might not be of use. Either we'd given them too late, we'd missed the point at which they would be most effective, or we might have given them too early. Everything settled down and she didn't go on to give birth. Or in a situation where we were more in control of the preterm birth, such as when there's a very, very growth-restricted baby, or a woman has severe preeclampsia, we might not time things correctly. So it was routine practice when I was junior in my career to regularly give steroids to those women that we thought were having a high chance of giving birth prematurely. We would give steroids and if she hadn't delivered in the next couple of weeks, we would repeat give those steroids a couple of weeks later. No downside, we thought. 
And certainly we will have benefited very many babies over the years by this course of action. Then we started to look at babies born closer to their due date, particularly those born by caesarean. It's well recognised that one of the complications of a planned caesarean is something called transient tachypnea of the newborn, literally fast breathing of a newborn baby. And this is because babies born by caesarean haven't been down the birth canal. They haven't had their chest compressed by lots of contractions. They haven't had the lung liquid squeezed out. And therefore, when they're born, their lungs are wet. They're full of amniotic fluid and it takes them time to get rid of that fluid. People often describe caesarean babies as being very mucousy and you may see liquid actually pour out of their mouths. Most of the time, TTN, as we like to shorten it, is quite innocuous. If you leave the baby skin to skin with its mother, it will settle down over the first hour or so and sort itself out. But for some babies, it won't. And this will necessitate admission to the neonatal unit and perhaps oxygen and some respiratory support, some help with breathing. So in situations where we knew we were going to need a baby to be born early by caesarean, even though it's beyond, strictly speaking, what we would call preterm, we started to think maybe steroids would be of benefit here too. We could give steroids to women who needed to have their caesarean at 37 weeks and that would counteract the higher chance of TTN at that stage of pregnancy and the baby would be able to stay with its mum and have less chance of admission to the neonatal unit. Result. So we started offering steroids to women having planned caesareans if they were at higher chance of their babies requiring admission because they were having it a bit early. We also offered steroids to women having a planned caesarean who had diabetes. There's a link between diabetes and surfactant production. Surfactant is the chemical that helps with the surface tension in the lungs, helping the lungs inflate. And we know that babies of diabetic mums do not have as good surfactant production, so are a bit more likely to get respiratory breathing problems after birth when born by caesarean. So it made total sense to give mums with diabetes steroids before their planned caesarean birth. So far, this all sounds quite straightforward, right? So why have I chosen to do an episode on this? Well, the answer is it isn't quite as straightforward as we thought. Let's start with those women with diabetes. Giving a large dose of steroids actually can completely throw off their diabetic control. So we would have women admitted to have steroids and then we would see their blood sugars soar usually 12 to 24 hours after that dose of steroids 
and that would often need them to be on a sliding scale, a drip of insulin and sugar solution with regular testing of their blood sugars hourly for us to try and help them maintain a normal blood sugar. Big swings in their blood sugars are not good for them, but equally not good for their baby that's about to be born. So this was an obvious downside, but the benefit seemed to be worth it. But slowly, little by little, we started to see evidence that actually steroids were not as great as we thought, that there might be some downsides. We stopped giving them out like smarties to any woman that literally walked in the door in threatened preterm labour or who we thought might deliver early. And we certainly stopped those repeated doses. There have been some advances in how we might or might not predict or try and predict preterm birth. I've talked about it a little bit in my episode 123, transfer, about in utero transfers. What we're trying to do these days is use these tools to try and give us the best possible chance of identifying that 24 hours to one week time period in which the steroids will be of the most benefit so that we don't take the risks of giving doses of steroids too early when they won't be of use. And we also try not to take the risk of giving steroids to women that actually, although it looks like they might be in preterm labour, are actually not going to birth their baby preterm, but everything is going to settle down and stop. But it can be incredibly hard as an obstetrician, even with the tools we now have, such as fetal fibronectin or cervical length, to try and accurately predict who are the women that are going to give birth to their baby prematurely. It can be a hard call to make. So why are we now hesitating? Well, there's quite a bit of new evidence come to light about the negative aspects of giving steroids preterm. And that's why I've chosen to do a whole episode on it today. For me, my conscious awareness started with an excellent infographic from a team up in Edinburgh, which has now been incorporated into the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists Green Top Guidance. This infographic focused on the benefits or disadvantages of giving steroids for babies born by planned caesarean at term, so more than 37 weeks. It's a nice decision-making tool and something that I now often give women if they're making that decision or if we're making that decision together. Particularly if they've maybe had steroids in a past situation and I'm explaining to them why practice has changed and that I might not be offering them steroids anymore. It talks about 
the potential downside in terms of the baby's blood sugars immediately after birth. But more importantly, it talks about the fact that there may be some impact on the baby's brain development and that this may have an effect on the baby as it goes through its developmental milestones or education. It also discusses the fact that there's less evidence that steroids can definitely be beneficial for breathing issues at term, whereas the evidence for help with breathing issues preterm is compelling. So for the last few years, we've really been reining back in and using far less steroid injections prior to planned caesarean. Definitely seen a shift in practice. But what about preterm birth? What should we be doing then? Well, the reason I've chosen to record this episode today is because of a recent excellent article in the BMJ. And I've put a link to that and the infographic I just mentioned in the show notes for today. They looked at a nationwide cohort in Taiwan, looking at nearly 2 million mother and child pairs to look at what proportion of women who received steroids in their pregnancy ready for preterm birth actually didn't go on to birth their babies preterm. And it was interesting to discover that actually 40% of women given steroids because of an anticipated preterm birth did not actually go on to birth their baby until they were full term. And that's really quite a high proportion. They then looked at the short-term and long-term outcomes of those babies. So if as a baby you'd been exposed to steroids before 34 weeks and you were then born at more than 37 weeks, so what? What was the impact? And these are the results that make you stop and think. So what they showed in terms of short-term outcome was that these babies had a slightly higher chance of admission to a neonatal unit, more chance of needing breathing support, such as being intubated, that means being on a ventilator, but also an impact on a higher chance of having some sort of mental or behavioural disorder later in life. I always find the data on mental and behavioural development quite difficult because how do you decide cause and effect? I mean, I know people doing studies do take that into consideration, confounding factors, but it always seems to me a little bit difficult to attribute something back directly to a single intervention. But the other impact that they discovered in longer term outcomes was that 
infants that had been exposed to antenatal steroids in the womb had significantly higher chance of infection, serious infection, in the first year of life. And I'm talking things needing admission to hospital, such as pneumonia, sepsis, and acute gastroenteritis. With increased chances, what they call a hazard ratio, 1.4 to 1.74. So significant differences in the first six months or year of life. I think this is important, not that the other possible impact on brain development isn't important, it totally is. But this is the first time I've seen clear evidence of what appears to be a definite downside, a definite disadvantage if we give steroids and the woman then doesn't go on to birth her baby preterm. So overall, they said, antenatal corticosteroids, one course, so not even the repeated courses we used to give, but one course, showed a significantly associated risk of 1.2 to 1.4 of overall serious infection in the first 6 to 12 months of life. And we need to be open and honest with couples about this information. But equally, we need parents to be aware of this information so that if we have given antenatal steroids, they know to inform doctors people caring for those children during that first year of life that they do have this background increased chance and therefore in that first year of life professionals dealing with that baby and that family need to understand the need for perhaps increased vigilance and parents themselves need to be aware that those common childhood illnesses perhaps may be a little bit more for that particular baby. It's still far more likely that that baby won't have complications and problems, but their background risk is higher than if those steroids had never been given. So what is my zesty bit? My zesty bit is where we can... I know it's difficult in the throes of labour, but where we can, where we're planning a preterm birth or we do have time and we can have a proper good conversation, we need to be a little less blasé about giving steroids and we need to have a better conversation with parents about the potential downsides. There is some really good information for parents which I've put in the show notes and I think when you've got time to discuss and talk to people we really need to use that good information to say yes on balance I think steroids would benefit your baby and these are the reasons why but 
rather than just brushing it away, which to be honest, I have done in the past rather than brushing it away and saying there is no downside. We need to say, well, there could be a downside. There definitely is a downside in terms of blood sugar stability after birth and possible infection. And then on top of that, there is this potential for perhaps mental and behavioural developmental issues in the future. So it's not anything like as clear cut as I think it was or seemed at the beginning of my career. And as a woman, if you're listening to this or a couple listening to this, then read, there's a really nice RCAG patient information leaflet and have a think. Yes, steroids are still incredibly beneficial, particularly if your baby is very preterm. So we're talking 23 to 28 weeks. So I'm not saying don't have steroids, but I'm saying understand there are benefits and downsides, just like with most things in life. And don't be frightened to ask questions about those downsides so that you can make a really well-informed decision about what you feel is best for yourself and your family. I very much hope you found this episode of the OBSPOD interesting. If you have, it'd be fantastic if you could subscribe, rate and review on whatever platform you find your podcasts, as well as recommending the OBSPOD to anyone you think might find it interesting. There's also tons of episodes to explore in my back catalogue, from clinical topics, my career and journey as an obstetrician, and life in the NHS more generally. I'd like to assure women I care for that I take confidentiality very seriously and take great care not to use any patient identifiable information unless I have expressly asked the permission of the person involved on that rare occasion when it's been absolutely necessary. If you found this episode interesting and want to explore the subject a little more deeply, don't forget to take a look at the programme notes where I've attached some links. If you want to get in touch to suggest topics for future episodes, you can find me at The Obspod on Twitter and Instagram and you can email me theobspod at gmail.com. Finally, it's very important to me to keep The Obspod free and accessible to as many people as possible. But it does cost me a very small amount to keep it going and keep it live on the internet. So if you've enjoyed my episodes and by chance you do have a tiny bit to spare, you can now contribute to keep the podcast going and keep it free via my link to buy me a coffee. Don't feel under any obligation, but if you'd like to contribute, you now can. Thank you for listening.